This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. This week, the Ontario government tabled a budget that will offer financial relief for some Zoomers and increase costs for others. Who wins and who loses? I'll ask CARP's VP of Advocacy and COO, Wanda Morris. It's being called the perfect antidote to the stigma of mental illness and the distorted view of the doctors who take care of the mentally ill. I'll talk with Dr. David Goldblum about his new book, How Can I Help?, a week in my life as a psychiatrist. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. We all hear griping about Canadian pensions. So would you be surprised to learn that Canada's retirement savings system is one of the best in the world? Canada placed seventh among 25 countries in the Melbourne Mercer Global Pension Index, which uses indicators measuring adequacy, sustainability, and integrity of pension systems around the world. Denmark and the Netherlands were the top two countries in the study. The experts say, though, that with old age security, the Canada Pension Plan and the Guaranteed Income Supplement, Canada has many of the right tools in place as well as voluntary options like RRSPs. But financial analysts say it can always be better, and their take is that a higher contribution limit for registered savings and encouragement to work later in life can improve Canada's placing on the list. It was the worst Nazi death camp after Auschwitz. This week, the last survivor of the notorious Treblinka camp passed away. Samuel Villenberg, one of only 67 people to have survived the camp, died in Israel at the age of 93. About 870,000 Jews were murdered in the gas chambers at Treblinka. Villenberg survived by climbing over bodies piled up near a fence as Nazi soldiers shot prisoners during a mass escape. Historians say Villenberg's death marks a new era in Holocaust remembrance as educators face the prospect of maintaining the memory of the Nazi genocide without the help of those who went through it. India's Prime Minister made a special visit to a 104-year-old woman in her rural village to say thank you. Narendra Modi visited the woman to touch her feet, an act of great respect, after Kunwar Bai sold off goats from her farm in order to bring in working toilets to her village. There is still a great divide in India between rural and urban centers, and in many places, toilets are still luxuries. India's Prime Minister is hoping that examples like this will help bridge that divide. And finally, a video of a 106-year-old American woman fulfilling one of her life's dreams has gone viral. Last weekend, Virginia McLaurin visited the White House, where she got to meet the president and the first lady. 
She was so excited, she was dancing. No, you are not. You are not. Oh, you got to slow down. Oh, my goodness. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. It's a cultural touchstone, the caricature of a psychiatrist with a patient on the couch. Now, psychiatrist Dr. David Goldblum, the senior medical advisor at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, takes us beyond the Hollywood version with a book that takes us behind the scenes. It's called How Can I Help? A Week in My Life as a Psychiatrist. Dr. Goldblum dropped by our studios for a little radio analysis. I actually like to think that a lot has changed. And I see this especially with younger people who are way more open and matter-of-fact about discussing what is, after all, a really common human problem, a, a problem that affects one in five Canadians every year, and yet has historically been a source of shame and secrecy and stigma greater than any other form of human suffering. And, you know, go back 30 years to where cancer was, where HIV was, and think of the distance traveled since then. And mental illness is really at the starting point of that journey. You say that psychiatry basically has a bad rap. How so? Well, you only need to think about the cultural stereotypes Mm. associated with psychiatry. I mean, you should be looking across this table and seeing a bald Viennese-looking middle-aged guy with uh, horn-rimmed glasses and a goatee and a spiral-bound pad and a pencil sitting in front of an ornate uh, couch with an oriental carpet in front and a middle-aged person, usually a woman, lying on the couch and one of the two of them saying something ridiculous. That (laughs) is the cartoon stereotype. Do you think that your specialty is considered uh, not scientific enough? Absolutely. And I think some of that reflects the fact that here in 2016, we don't have any laboratory tests or x-rays that allow us to give someone a diagnosis. And so that that's a limiting step for us. It means that our diagnoses rely on the act of listening, understanding, and applying a body of knowledge about various types of mental illness to the unique circumstances of those individuals. In my own clinical practice, one of the first things I do when somebody comes in who says they feel depressed is I ask them, what's the difference for you between normal feelings of sadness and depression? People who have experienced the illness of depression can distinguish the two in a heartbeat. So speaking of depression, first of all, uh, remind us, how common is it? Over the course of a lifetime, we talk about one in five women, one in ten men over the course of a lifetime. And that means it's a common illness. And uh, it means that there's probably no family in Canada who has been untouched in some way by depression or other common psychiatric illnesses. Can drugs control it well? Drugs do a reasonable job. We fortunately, we're not limited to just one tool. 
we have really good evidence that certain types of psychotherapy have a marked effect in relieving symptoms of depression, most notably cognitive behavioral therapy. And it is not the sort of cartoon stereotype of what psychotherapy is, you know, of, again, that classic Viennese bearded psych psychiatrist saying, I think you wish to have sex with your mother as uh, some kind of explanation for why somebody is feeling so terrible. You describe losing a patient to suicide. Yes. That must be horrible. It is horrible. And, uh, you know, I, but I don't think in some ways it's more horrible than what any of my colleagues in the health professions face when you're working and trying to help someone and that person dies. So uh, it is a reality in our line of work that sometimes despite your best efforts and maybe sometimes as a consequence of your mistakes that people will die. You described, you know, closing your office door and, and bursting into tears. I, I yeah. doubt that surgeons who, who lose a patient do that. You know, I think you might be surprised. I think you might be surprised by uh, the reaction of clinicians when we lose patients. Is, is there a patient or two that you can single out out of all the patients you've had who have the biggest impact on you? There's a patient named Daryl Orzek. And over the decade or so that I was involved in his care, in manic episodes, in depressive episodes, and in the periods of, of stable mood in between, I got to know him very well. And I got to know his family well. And I got to see both his struggles when he would get really sick, but also his triumphs when he graduated from a, a, a training program as an assistant chef at George Brown College. And I got to go to the graduation ceremony and cheer him on the stage. And those are moments that I will savor forever. And it's Daryl that committed suicide, right? Yeah. As you know, we specialize here in an older demographic. Right. So uh, does mental illness become worse as people get older? And uh, what's the landscape? You know, I think there's a lot, and I'm glad you've raised this, because there is a lot of ageism that applies to mental illness in people over the age of 60 or age 65. And uh, particularly when depression as an illness manifests in people over the age of 65, this is where ageism kicks in. People say, well, you know, I'd be depressed if I was retired or I'd be depressed if my friends were dying. The assumption that depression is some kind of logical reaction to external circumstance and it isn't. It's an illogical state. Between the ages of 65 and 80, depression is a much more common brain problem than dementia. After the age of 80, the incidence of dementia starts to shoot up. But we run at CAMH the largest geriatric mental health program in the country. And our clinicians and our scientists there are very engaged in the treatment of common mental illnesses in people over the age of 65. And the point is, they are treatable. And even for people with dementia, 
while we don't have great treatments for dementia, we can intervene around some of the behavioral aspects of dementia, the behaviors that get people into trouble in their own homes, in their nursing homes. There is yardage to be gained and hopefully dignity to be preserved. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you, Libby. I've been speaking with Dr. David Goldblum. How Can I Help is published by Simon & Schuster Canada. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. This week, the Ontario government tabled a budget that promises financial relief in a variety of ways. How does it stack up for Zoomers? I'll be joined by CARP's VP of Advocacy, Wanda Morris. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Ontario Zoomers will see big changes in the cost of prescription drugs. Some will pay less and most will pay more. And new taxes mean it'll cost more to fill up your gas tank or enjoy a glass of wine. I sat down with Wanda Morris, CARP's VP of Advocacy, to sort out the winners and losers in Ontario's budget. Overall, I think CART members will be happy with the tone of the budget. I was particularly pleased to see the emphasis on uh, a transition to community health, whereas uh, the $52 billion health budget uh, has increased slightly for hospital care. There was a 5% increase in uh, funding for community care. Uh, But I think all of our CART members are going to be concerned about the uh, increases that are coming for seniors in the area of drug costs. What the government is saying is that there are now 170,000 more seniors in Ontario who qualify for basically fully subsidized drug plans. But what does it mean for everyone else? I think that the danger is that for people that are close to that income threshold, it could mean a real challenge for them in managing chronic conditions and actually being able to afford their drugs. Um, We know from a poll of our members that already about 10% of them were uh, sometimes not taking medications because they simply couldn't afford it. And our members tend to skew a little bit more affluent. So what about the person that's living in Toronto and making $20,000 a year? Uh, We're really concerned about what this means for them. For a single, for example, living on twenty or 21000 a year, coming up with an extra $70 could be a real challenge having to, to pay those drug costs. And to, to, it really doesn't make sense from a policy point of view for the government to be doing this. I mean, what we know is that uh, individuals who don't always take their medication can end up in hospital costing thousands of dollars in emergency care uh, and and suffering greatly as a result. So it seems we've been a bit uh, penny-wise and pound-foolish in this budget. Back to the uh, question of drugs. So, Now we have shingles vaccine covered. Uh, The average is 170, but uh, I know a lot of places that charge $200. That's a big hunk. So now it's free, but only for people in the five-year range, 65 to 70, right? That's correct. And and here I think we have a good example of evidence-based medicine where uh, the government has realized that people um, maybe don't have the money or aren't willing to pay for that vaccine. So paying for it makes good sense. So it's interesting where we get, you know, good, Uh, decision-making here, but less so with the very low income threshold cutoff for the new drug plan. 
I think there was also, if I may say, some uh, really positive things in the budget in terms of not monetary pieces, but system changes. I mean, we've heard the government commit to uh, streamlining the process for getting hip and knee replacements. I think that will benefit many of our members. And and also the, the changes to the mandate for registered nurses. Uh, now they will be able to um, prescribe certain drugs. And for uh, nurse practitioners who will now be able to refer their patients directly to specialists. So so we're really supportive of those innovations. The government's also been talking about a palliative care strategy and about changes to home care. I mean, a lot of people are caregivers. So what do those things mean in a practical way? The budget has has a lot of, of promises in it, a lot of things that sound good on paper, but the reality, the litmus test is going to be what happens when the rubber hits the road. So for, for CART members, we're certainly going to be watching to see how things will be implemented, uh, working with the uh, Ontario Ministry of Health to make sure that uh, our members' views are heard. Uh, we were not consulted about the potential uh, increase in, in drug costs, and I think that's problematic. We want to make sure that we are at the table when these major decisions are being made. Okay, Wanda, thank you so much. Louie, thank you very much for having me. Wanda Morris is VP of Advocacy and COO of CARP, A New Vision of Aging. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. This week... The very influential Fats Domino celebrated a birthday. We'll hear one of his biggest hits right after this. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. It's time for your international arts date book. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. They've performed together Edie Brickell on vocals, Steve Martin on banjo. Now they've written a musical called Bright Star. It's the story of a magazine editor who meets a soldier returning from World War II. Bright Star is at the Court Theatre in Manhattan on West 48th Street. To London, England, where Nell Gwynn is getting rave reviews at the Apollo Theatre. It's a play of and about the theatre and a love affair that plays out between the actress and the king and the stage and the audience. And in Frankfurt, the Stadel Museum presents an exhibition about the history of Italian art. There are 50 paintings as well as 81 drawings, sculptures, and works in other media which might otherwise only be seen in Florence. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. This week, Antoine Domino Jr., better known as Fats Domino, celebrated his 88th birthday. The American pianist, singer, and songwriter is credited as a pioneer of both pop and rock and roll music. Born and raised in New Orleans, his career began in the late 40s when he began playing with local bands in the French Quarter. His 1950 single, The Fat Man, gave him national attention and is now considered to be one of the first rock and roll records. For the next few years, he released a number of successful singles, but it was a 1955 hit written by Domino that made him a star. The song reached the top 40 Billboard charts, and it was the first of 37 of his songs to do so. It's since been covered by countless artists, including Pat Boone, whose version became a number one hit. But right now we'll hear the original as recorded by Fats Domino. Here is Ain't That a Shame. You made me cry 
when you say it. That was Fats Domino with Ain't That a Shame. Domino celebrated his 88th birthday this week. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thank you for joining me today and be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer Moses Snymer. Produced by Paul Thomas. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.